May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. In his uh, book, Disappointment with God, Philip Yancey begins with a story about a young man named Richard. Richard's faith was beginning to crumble. He was having health problems. His parents' marriage was falling apart. His fiancée had just left him. And questions were beginning to mount in young Richard's mind. He, he, he started to have doubts about God and God's goodness. And so one night, Richard had had enough. He, he, he stayed up all night and he had a, a prayer vigil with God. For hours he prayed. And he said that he even stretched out on the floor. And he cried out, please, God, give me some sign that you're really there. I wonder if you've ever prayed a prayer like that. God, give me a sign. Are you here? Are you with me? Well, nothing happened that night. No, no sign came, and, and Richard lost his faith. And in fact, the next day, he said he, he burned his Bible and his theology books, and he was done, done with God. Well, that kind of a prayer, God, please show up, give me a sign, that's something that we see in our Old Testament text in the prayer of Moses. In Exodus 33, verse 18, where he says this, he says, please show me your glory. It'll be helpful if you want to take that out. It's on page 7 in your bulletin, and we'll look at this story today. Often we pray that kind of prayer in the midst of a crisis. And that's what Moses is going through personally. That's what the nation of Israel is going through as well. Um, one scholar said that what prompted Moses to pray this prayer represents the greatest crisis in divine human relations since the flood. And the crisis is this. God told Moses earlier in this chapter in verse 3, I'm not going with you. And I'm not going with the people of Israel anymore. The crisis was the absence of God, the threat that God is not going to be with them. They're getting ready to leave Mount Sinai and go towards the promised land. And God is saying, I'm not going with you. And they're facing enemies and they're facing all sorts of difficulties. And Moses knows if God doesn't go with us, we're toast. See, God was, God was fed up with the people of Israel at this time. Do you remember the backstory of this, what happened on Mount Sinai? As, as Moses is receiving the, the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel are down at the base of the mountain breaking the Ten Commandments. Uh, they're, they're creating an idol for themselves. They're creating a golden calf. And um, you see, they, they had started to complain. They had started to murmur. Moses had been up there for weeks. And they said, where's, where's our supposed leader? He's left us here to die. Who's going to lead us? Let's make a God for ourselves. Who can protect us? That's what they did. In the, in the absence of their leader, they panicked and they went to another God. They created their own God. When Moses came down the mountain, he confronted his assistant, his assistant pastor, Joshua. What's going on here? And Joshua, in the lamest excuse of the Bible... He said, they gave me their, their, their gold and we threw it in the fire and out came, out popped this golden calf. Just magically, Moses, I don't know how it happened. But God was furious. 
God was furious because they were demonstrating disloyalty to him, disloyalty to his leader, Moses. And he said, I'm going to destroy these people, Moses, and I'm going to build a new nation out of you. Moses got on his face before God and interceded and pleaded for the people. And God relented. But he did say in verse 3, I'm not going with you. Go to the promised land. I'll send an angel ahead of you, but I will not go with you because you are a stubborn people and I might destroy you on the way. Can't take it anymore. So that's the crisis. The crisis is the, the absence of God. And, and Moses says here, if your presence, verse 14, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. God had delivered the people from the bondage of Egypt. God had fed them in the desert, miraculously, with manna from heaven. God had led them with his presence by a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. God had sustained Moses as he was the leader of the people, and Moses knows that he needs the presence of God. And it's the absence of God that brings such a crisis. And that's true in our own lives as well. The absence of God. You see, God has put a longing in all of our hearts for him. And St. Augustine said it long ago, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee, O God. And that's why there's so much restlessness, I think, in our world even today. Uh, John Stott writes this about the restlessness in our world and, and the search for God. Even for people who say, I don't believe in God, they're searching. And there's a restlessness there. He, he says this, they seek it everywhere, this transcendent spiritual reality. They seek it everywhere, through yoga, through transcendental meditation, through other forms of Eastern mysticism. They seek it through sexuality, which is, he calls the mysticism of the materialist. Think about that. They seek the transcendent through music and arts, through drugs and religious cults, and, and even the escapism of science, science fiction and the fantasies of the movies. See, there's a restlessness when God is not present. We're searching for him. And there's a crisis in our life when we don't know that God is with us. And that's true in the church as well. There's a crisis when, when God isn't present. When, when, when people come into the church, they need to experience the presence of the living God, and we yearn for the presence of the living God. And in our epistle, Paul says that I didn't just come with, with, with words, but the word was there with the power of the Holy Spirit, with full conviction when people in the early church um, heard the word of God and prayed and gathered together. There was a sense that the living God was there. But sometimes... We experience the absence of God. And so Moses wants to see God's very glory. He wants to know God is there. And so he says, please show me your glory. And this is a very bold request because he's asking for an unveiled vision of the essence of God. I want to see God as he is, Moses cries out. I want to see you as he is, as you are. I want to put this uh, prayer in context because some people like uh, the, the, the story of this young man, Richard, I began with. Some people will, will look at a prayer like this and say, you know what, I'm going to make a, a request like this, and if God doesn't show up, then I'm going to walk away. If God doesn't show up the way I want him to show up, I'm going to shake my fist and say God doesn't exist. God 
has to prove himself to me. But let's put this in context. First of all, when Moses approached God like this, it was within the context of repentance and humility and penitence. He was repenting before God for the sins of the people. There were acts of contrition, even if you read earlier in the chapter, on the part of the people of Israel. They were repenting. So he's not coming with this sense of a demanding spirit. He's coming out of humility and repentance. Show us, show me, O God, your glory. He, he even said before he prayed this prayer, God, if you, if you want to destroy these people, I'd rather you destroy me. Save your people, your covenant people. Blot me out from the book of life. That's the kind of humility and penitence that Moses is approaching the Lord in. It's not this demanding. There's a boldness here, but it's in the context of humility. And then Moses is speaking out of a deep abiding relationship with God. Uh, Moses, it says in our passage that he had favor with God, that God knew his name. He had an intimate relationship with God. Other scriptures say that Moses spoke to God like a friend speaks to a friend. So that's the kind of relationship that Moses had with God. It was a friendship with God. It was an intimacy, a warmth there. And just like any other friendship in, 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 in our life, these, the, the relationship with God has to be cultivated. We, we have to cultivate a relationship with God and not take him for granted and then come in a demanding way. That's not what Moses is doing here. He's cultivated a deep relationship with God, a friendship with God. God's at the center of his life. He's seen God do some things, and now he's coming. There is a sense of boldness here. God, show me more. I want more. There's a principle here for us, I think, that anyone here in this room can be a friend of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great thought? that the God who created the universe wants a friendship with us and he's made that possible through Jesus Christ. But we have to come to him in humility and we have to come sometimes in persistence and cultivate that relationship with him. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's a promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But here's the catch and we see it in this text. God will come to us. God will reveal himself in the way that he chooses and in the way that we can handle and in a way that's good for us. He will come on his own terms and the way, we can, uh, the way that is good for us and something that we can handle. Look at verses 19 through 23. Moses says, please show me your glory. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim, uh, proclaim before you my name, the Lord. That's interesting. What does that mean? He is, the, the name of God tells us who God is. Moses has asked for a vision of God, a description of what God looks like, and God is saying, I'm going to tell you what I'm like, but you're not going to get a full glimpse of what I look like. You need to know that I am the Lord, Yahweh. That's the word here, Yahweh, which means I am. Moses, I am. I am with you. I am with you in grace. I am with you in mercy. I am with you in power. That's what you need to know. I am God. You don't have to have a vision to know that that's true. But he does grant partially Moses' request. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. 
I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God's sovereignty, God's prerogative in revealing himself to whom and in the way he wants. But, verse 20, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. There's such a gap, and I don't think we can grasp it in this life. There's such a gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness that if we had a direct vision of God, we would be obliterated. It's like we can't look at the sun on a clear day and stare at the sun for hours on end without some damage being done to our eyes. The pure holiness and glory of God is too much for us as sinful people to see directly. And while my glory passes, wait, verse 21, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. Or that could be translated my, the afterglow of his glory. Not a full-on vision, but the afterglow, the back. But my face will not be seen. And obviously this is metaphorical language that the, the scripture is using. We don't believe that God actually has a body, but we do believe as Christians that, the, as we'll say in just a moment, that the word of God became flesh, and in Jesus Christ we can see God. So I want you just to note a couple of things here. Again, the gap between God's greatness and his holiness and our sinfulness God's sovereignty in revealing himself to whom he wants and in the way he wants. But then God's mercy in revealing himself, finally. God is merciful. Now we come to this passage as Christians, and we know that in Jesus Christ, God has revealed himself clearly in Christ. And he's revealed something of his glory. Let me read you a text that we normally read around Christmas time. I think actually on Christmas Day we read this text from John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Think about this text in light of the story we just read about Moses. Listen to what the Apostle John says. And of course, the Apostle John was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was with Jesus for three years or so. He was a follower of Christ. He saw everything that Christ did. He saw him die on the cross, and he encountered him risen, alive, miraculously. And this is what the Apostle John said, who was steeped, of course, in the Old Testament, knew this story about Moses. He said this, And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. God did a great thing through Moses by giving the law, but something greater came through Jesus. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. No one shall see my face, God said. But the only God who is at the Father's side, that is the Son, has made him known. So what John is saying here is if you want to see God, if you want to see the glory of God, look to Jesus Christ. John had experienced the ministry of Jesus Christ. John saw the miracles. John heard the authority. John saw him risen after being dead three days. And he said, if you want to see the glory of God, look to Jesus Christ. And that's a word for us today as well. 
If we want to know God and his glory, we look to Jesus, we continue to look to Jesus, we commune with Jesus, we pray to Christ, we obey Christ, we become members of the body of Christ in our interaction and in our love with one another. Something of the love and the glory of God is revealed in our relationships even with one another. God isn't silent completely and he isn't hidden completely. He has revealed himself in Christ. A medieval mystic said this, he said, God is like a person hiding who clears his throat and so gives himself away. <laughs> God is like a person hiding who clears his throat and gives himself away. In Jesus, God has spoken. He's given himself away, literally, on the cross for us. You know, when I, I play hide-and-seek with my littlest girls, the, the three- and the five-year-old, and sometimes that's what I have to do. I have to make a noise to give myself away. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll stop seeking. Because <laughs> I'm a pretty good hider. And they say, Daddy, where are you? And I have to give a little hint about where I'm at. And I think God, is, God does that. God has spoken definitively in Jesus Christ. God continues to speak, so we'll keep seeking. He doesn't step out in the full light of his glory. We couldn't handle that anyway, but maybe we would just stop seeking. Maybe what he does is he, he reveals himself in Christ fully, and there are moments in our life where he sort of punctures the veil and he comes through, and there are moments where he withdraws. And in the, that time of the absence of God, when we sense a lack of his presence, is the time to continue to seek and to look to Jesus and to realize because we've seen the revelation in Jesus Christ, we can trust that God is good even though we don't know what he's doing. We've seen his glory. And he's working on us until the day when we finally will come face to face and his glory will be revealed. And we will see him in his glory face to face. And that's the great hope. That's the great vision that we all long for. Amen.